COP27, the United Nations Climate Change Conference, has been underway in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt this week. The UN Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, opened COP27 with a stark warning that we are on a highway to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator. Similarly, sharp words have been delivered by Pakistan's Federal Minister of Climate Change. Sherry Raymond says Pakistan is ground zero of climate stress and that she came to COP27 to remind the nation's richest, the world's richest countries that delaying climate justice for, for the vulnerable is subjecting them to a death sentence. Senator Raymond is Vice President of the Pakistan People's Party. She's its Senate's leader and a leading feminist who's the author of the book Splaining: Navigating Activism, Politics and Modernity in Pakistan. I welcomed Senator Raymond to Sunday Extra earlier. Very good morning to you. Could you tell us how much support Pakistan has received from the international community compared to the scale of need created by the recent devastating floods in your country? Well, honestly, uh, we since uh, the as you said, the scale of need is so high. It's thirty billion dollars just for the devastation we've seen occur over the last uh, three months. Uh, it's been very, very small compared to our needs on the ground. The gap is extremely high. Uh, we've seen a lot of empathy and sympathy flood out. Uh, people have been uh, really shaken when they actually visited. Those who could and did have the time, unlike the Secretary General himself, the United Nations. And uh, his call and his organization's uh, call to action to assist us has been very, very clear, unequivocal, and, uh, you know, frankly, quite repeated mm. uh, in terms of flash appeals. He's made two, not one. But it's been, uh, it seems quite difficult. And um, we're with, with preoccupations uh, of war elsewhere in the Ukraine, particularly, and other areas. Uh, we see, uh, obviously, economies are struggling uh, with, with the war uh, expenses and unable to uh, fund the humanitarian recovery uh, never mind reconstruction, just the humanitarian um, disaster relief part of it. Recovery mm. and rehabilitation is just, you know, those needs are just being drawn up. And we're all quite uh, worried as to how those will be expensed because we haven't even expensed that. Yes, it's a ballpark of 30 billion, but it needs a massive injection of financial and technical capacity, you know, to rebuild 3,000 kilometers of metal roads uh, to yes uh, sorry 8000 plus and then to uh, start giving actually the most important need the front line is to give people back their livelihoods and that's very difficult at this point yeah at this point it's very tough and it's in that context that you're advocating at COP27 for the establishment of a loss and damage finance facility how would a finance facility work and how much funding would it need to have well, look, a finance facility is just being discussed. We were working late in the night. The loss and damage is one part of what we're talking about. It's actually far more complex and less headline grabbing, but very mm. important, equally important. Uh, so it is actually the simplification of green financing that is badly needed, which remains undefined. And people spend hours and years going over creating modalities and meeting again in sunnier capitals and, and then going uh, again for, uh, you know, sorting 
what they call the nitty gritty. I mean, that's just got to stop. This is all becoming, uh, uh, you know, one ball, one can that's constantly kicked down the road. People are kept engaged in long conferences. I appreciate that we all need to work on a consensus. And, and one of the issues is that, you know, everybody here has a vote, which is a good thing. But, uh, but everybody here also has a veto. And it's very hard to pull, uh, uh, you know, decision-making along. I have to say that in the smaller groups that have begun negotiating, people are quite, especially the developing countries, are quite uh, uh, comfortable working with each other. There is an important sense of change, as in the, that, that this is a defining year for everyone. And... Uh, that, you know, modalities can't be worked out forever for, say, two years or three years and then be discussed and then we all convene and create a talking points back for each other. That's not, that's got to stop. That's still happening. And while loss and damage may be on the agenda, it's still a thought. It's a big idea whose time, it seems, is, is, is sort of still coming in the sense that there's no clarity uh, in you know we we are pushing for what we want, but then we can't overstep on other people's uh, interests as well because we're trying to create consensus for what such an instrument or a window or a fund or a facility might look like. It should not become uh, so onerous that uh, everyone runs for it because, as you know, the UN needs. Of a document that says the, the the amount of climate finance needed goes into trillions, and here of dollars, and here we haven't seen uh, with or without loss or damage, we have not seen even the hundred billion per year that was promised. So actually, to me, those are very cogent and important issues. Yes, loss and damage grabs the headlines, but loss and damage can be addressed. Uh, very quickly with uh, with creative financing, if the IFI is on board, if everybody is brought together with um, with the momentum that comes with political will, you know, with, with clarity and political will. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Senator Sherry Raymond, Pakistan's Federal Minister for Climate Change, who's at the COP27 conference. Minister, the slogan of the Pakistan Pavilion at COP27 is what goes on in Pakistan will not stay in Pakistan. Could you tell us about the rationale for choosing that message and whether it stems from a concern that the international community just won't take sufficient action until the adverse effects of climate change hit the global north? Well, you've nailed it because uh, we don't see uh, that we don't see climate change as something that will be confined to borders or can be sealed off. If one ecosystem is under stress or is dying, then it does trigger a similar domino effect nearby and so on and so forth. And that's how the earth works. It's interconnected, the oceans, the ecosystem. Everybody actually knows that. It's not rocket science, but mm. people forget this. So if we're going down like the ground zero of climate trauma right now, uh, one after another with a cascade of events, well, you know, make no mistake, this will happen next door to you and then after that to you and then after that to somebody else. We don't wish it on anyone, uh, but it's time that, you know, the, the world takes 
a hard, you know, look at what is going on on the ground. That's not a, a train that's in control. It's a runaway train called climate change that brings speed and velocity to the climate carnage we're seeing on the ground. So, yes, we're saying what goes, what just went down here won't stay here. It's going to happen to everyone. It will be on everyone's doorstep. And we don't want to see this dystopia on anyone's doorstep. So it's time we all, you know, focused our minds rather sharply on the on the challenge at hand, on the enormity of it, of the, you know, epical changes that are needed instead of looking at concessions to each other, to the planet, to social justice, to bringing some change, putting a few green buses here and electrifying that there. We're all doing it. Mm. People need to see mobilization on all sides. People need to see action as opposed to incrementalism and uh, the staring at and, and the haggling over paper. I don't think that we ha- we should be uh, taking this level of time, conference after conference, to keep on sorting, our, crossing our T's and dotting our I's and saying, okay, let's get this. That's how negotiations are, I understand. They're complex, especially when there's consensus, but it can't work like that. It's got to have the heft and power of a, a real pivotal change. And I mm. think that's got to that's got to be pushed for even if it doesn't happen. With that in mind, Minister, you've spoken about the importance of focusing on the nitty-gritty, uh, perhaps compared to the headline-grabbing things like the loss and damage issue. What are your criteria for being able to say that COP27 really has achieved substantial progress? I think that COP27 would have to nudge forward on important metrics of both climate justice and uh, actions by the by the big emitters, as well as and which will spur these two things will spur other economies, developing countries to understand that this is this is serious business. It's not business as usual. People are uh, are now wanting to move more than the needle. And we're going forward with the kind of uh, agenda we would all like to see. And if they're not complicated, it's a question, as I said, of political will. So two things, uh, climate justice, which everybody knows. Uh, we, we all know what that means. It means a just transition. It means a, a transfer of resources. Uh, and uh, we also understand uh, that uh, big economies that have made commitments to start turning down their emissions so that global warming has a chance to start, you know, cooling down. The planet has, has a chance to start recovering because, as you know, GHG gases stay in the atmosphere for years. So it's a real long haul. And uh, these are not responsibilities that can be postponed. So there's no rocket science in what we're asking. The asks are very simple show us that we can live on this planet and show us that we can live together. Minister, thank you very much for joining us on Sunday Extra. Thank you. That was Pakistan's Climate Change Minister, Senator Sherry Raymond, speaking to me from COP27 in Egypt. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.